Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Jimmy Greaves was an English footballing genius. Anyone who saw him play, as I was lucky enough to do, will tell you that. All he wanted to do was put the ball in the back of the net, and he did that better than anybody I've seen. His skills, I mean, he was messy-like at times. This way of gliding past people. Even while talking to people like our dealers, to say, look, you get into these positions and yet you can't score. When Jimmy Greaves got into these positions, he seemed to place the ball just inside the post. If anybody ever said to Jimmy, how did you get into positions to score all those goals? And, and he always used to say, I just don't know. It just came naturally. But the facts and the stats easily amplify those eyewitness testaments. He scored more goals in England's top division than anyone before or since. And he did that despite six months spent in Italy winning Serie A with AC Milan. 357 goals in 516 games. It's a record that will never be broken. Hanging back, gonna hit it! Oh, what a goal by Jimmy Greaves! Oh, Greaves! He's done it! Jimmy Greaves! The goal he wanted! For England, he has a better goal-to-minutes record than any of the greats. Better than Charlton, Dineker, Rooney or Shearer. 44 goals in just 57 internationals, complete with no less than six hat-tricks. An injury robbed him of a World Cup winner's medal in 1966. I just wasn't fit. Jeff Hurst came in, took his chance and Elf kept it that way. And quite frankly, I think Elf was right to do so. I've always said Elf was right to do so. If you say, was I disappointed I didn't play in the 66 World Cup? Of course, I was devastated. But Jimmy's influence extended far beyond the football pitch. He was a part of a generation of young, working-class kids who embodied the swinging 60s and sent the image of a brighter Britain emerging from the grey ashes of the post-war period beaming around the world. And after his playing days ended, Jimmy Greaves became the first ex-player to forge a career in mainstream media, starring on TV for two decades. His very public battle with and eventual triumph over alcoholism further added to his national fame. I'm Danny Kelly, and as I said, Jimmy Greaves was a footballing genius, but in truth, he was much, much more. With his talent and style and wit, he was part of an extraordinary group of people who changed the way we think about the world. Along with George Best, Bobby Moore, Michael Caine and the Beatles, Jimmy Greaves was one of Britain's very first superstars and a working class hero. As a young lad growing up in London, he was my hero. And Greaves has got the whole field, he's got the whole field to himself. He'll have to beat the defender, he's got the goalkeeper now. Over the next hour, we pay tribute to a unique footballer through the eyes of those who knew him, played with him, or simply marvelled at the brilliance of Jimmy Greaves. If I'd had scored every goal I'd missed, and missed every goal I'd scored, I wouldn't half be in the record books, wouldn't I? James Peter Greaves was born in East London in 1940. From an early age, it became clear he was born to play football. World Cup winner George Cohen remembers encountering Jimmy as a schoolboy. I was a reserve for London schoolboys, and so was he. Only He was a reserve only because he was playing for the England schoolboys following week or something like that. But uh, Jimmy was always Jack the Lad, you know, and um, always had something to say. N- never quiet, you know, and I liked him very much. We got on well, though I was quieter than he was. But um, he also got married very, very young. I couldn't, couldn't quite understand that. But uh, 
I always remember him calling, saying to me, um, what club are you going to when you finish school? You know, So I said, well, I'm going to Fulham. I said, where are you going? I said, Chelsea. So I said, do you think you make it there, Jim? So he said, all schoolboy internationals make it. Well, he did. You know, he was, he was obviously outstanding in those days. Now, a few clubs were interested in schoolboy Jimmy and his dad wanted to sign for Spurs. But as he later told Brian Moore in an interview with ITV, Chelsea scout Jimmy Thompson sealed the deal. Well, it's amazing. There were several clubs. There was Tottenham, West Ham and Chelsea. But uh, Chelsea seemed to be the most persistent because they had a man called Mr Pope in those days whose real name was Jimmy Thompson he, and he was a great character. He was the man who, who, in our area, got most of the players to go to Chelsea. I think he rubbed the mums and dads up the right way. I think that was the key to it. I know he gave my father 50 quid in Irish fire. <laughs> that helped. I'm all shook up. With Elvis Presley top of the charts in 1957, Jimmy Greaves broke into the first team at Chelsea at the age of 17, scoring on his debut and making an instant impact with the Blues fans. Among them, a young John Mutson. People who are listening to this won't ever believe that football was played on Christmas Day, but it was in those days. And Chelsea beat Portsmouth 7-4, and Jimmy Greaves scored four goals. And I just fell absolutely head over heels with football and with Chelsea and with particularly Jimmy Greaves because he was scoring goals for fun even as a teenager and I always remember on another occasion when we went to Chelsea chasing him down the corridor to get him to sign my autograph book. Lundstone, Lundstone back to Greaves, it was really destined to be like that in the season before the one when he made his debut he scored 113 goals for the junior teams. And there was one match uh, where he scored seven, which was not unusual for Jimmy. And the manager, Ted Drake, came up to Jimmy in training the following day and he said, Jimmy, he said, don't get carried away, he said, because you'll never do that again, score seven goals in a game. And the following week, Jimmy went out with the youth team and he scored nine. And that was the kind of fella he was. I mean, the facts, the statistics are staggering. That season, he ended as the club's top scorer, and in 1959, he scored his England debut away to Peru in a 4-1 defeat. A year later, Jimmy Greaves became the youngest player to score 100 goals in the top flight. He was just 20 years of age. And although the striker really enjoyed his time at Stamford Bridge, Jimmy didn't think there was much chance of winning silverware. The thing about Chelsea in those days was we called them the all-the-best club because we never had a team talk or nothing like that. I mean, you know, Ted was always on the golf course and Ted Drake and, and uh, you know, before the game, we just used to say all the best <laughs> and run out. And, and, and that was it. But all the players were great. And there was a, there was a, a real good club spirit there. Yeah. Even though we were battling for five years virtually at the foot of the table, we used to score a lot of goals. The trouble was, we used to let a lot in. After a staggering 132 goals in 169 games over four seasons, including a hat-trick in his final game, Greaves decided it was time to leave Stamford Bridge. It was a body blow for John Sillett and his Chelsea teammates to see him depart. He had been such a success with Chelsea. And uh, for all of us to have a goal scorer up there that we had, it was brilliant. And for him to suddenly up and away, and uh, he says... It's been great time with you. He said, pal, do me a favour, will you? Organise a party for me for all the players, will you? I said, yeah, I'll try that. So I went round my local bowling club and the fellow running it said, yeah, we'll do that. We'll put that on. And they put a party on. He said, but first of all, Snoz, he says, you've got to remember one thing. Got to be a big bowl of jelly deals. He said, loads of jelly deals. He said, we love our jelly deals. And then we had to get all these bowls of jelly deals in. And the players all came and he gave us all a, a table lighter, a Ronson table lighter. And it was brilliant, really, because in those days, you know, we all smoked, I suppose. And uh, to get a table lighter was class. You were up in class with that. <laughs> In the summer of 1961, AC Milan agreed an £80,000 fee for the Londoner and Greaves was keen to cash in to boost his salary and try a new culture with his wife Irene. 
In truth, they also wanted to escape from their grief after the couple's son, Jimmy Jr., had tragically died from pneumonia before his first birthday. Despite the good intentions, Jimmy instantly regretted his decision. I think it was a mistake in as much as that um, I would have liked to have made it successful and wasn't able to because of my own inability to settle down. So in that uh, respect, it was a mistake. Not so much from the footballing point of view, because I settled in quite well football-wise, but it was just a mistake of a young man doing the wrong thing. I did it for money, purely for money, from £17 a week. I was promised, oh, anything up to five, six, maybe seven, eight thousand a year, which is a bit of a difference. David Tossel wrote the recent biography, Natural, about Jimmy's life and why it didn't work out for Greaves in Italy. Britain had the maximum wage in place at the time then for players. They could only get £20 a week. Then by the time the move actually went through, uh, lo and behold, England had abolished the maximum wage and, and he had the opportunity or would have had the opportunity to earn pretty much the same kind of money that he earned in Italy. He, he could have got by staying at home. So... Jimmy tried to get out of the move. He took on a lawyer and they went to court, tried to get out of it and couldn't. So Jimmy turned up in Milan with them knowing that he didn't really want the move. Um, He was working for a manager who he knew didn't really want him. Um, When the deal had been done, it had been a different manager in in charge. and He'd he'd since had a half attack and and moved on. And a guy called Nario Rocco was, was was in charge. He was the head coach. So... He knew Jimmy didn't want to be there. Jimmy knew that, that, that this head coach didn't want him. And so it really was doomed from day one. Jimmy was seen as a, a bit of a troublemaker, an agitator, not because he, he misbehaved particularly, but because he was unhappy and he didn't like the strict sort of regime that, that Milan imposed on their players. They were in sort of lockdown the night before every game, even home games which makes it kind of remarkable that he still managed to score nine goals in, in 12 Serie A games for them. After six turbulent months in Milan, the Italian club ran out of patience with the England striker and put him up for sale. It was Bill Nicholson and Tottenham that stepped forward and agreed the transfer. Now, they paid £99,999. It was intended to relieve Greaves of the pressure of being the first £100,000 footballer in British football. But as you'll find out in part two, Spurs need not have worried. Greaves changes the whole complexion of the game in 60 seconds with two goals. He could score with either foot or a header and had a complete knack of knowing exactly where the goal is, even with his back to it. Incredible. That's why the hordes at White Hart Lane absolutely adored him. You're listening to a special programme here on TalkSport, English Football Genius, a tribute to Jimmy Greaves. Coming up, you'll hear from Harry Redknapp, Alan Mullery and Norman J MBE. Welcome back, I'm Danny Kelly and you're listening to a special TalkSport programme looking at the life of one of the best footballers and TV personalities ever, Jimmy Greaves. Now we've heard how Jimmy burst onto the scene at Chelsea age 17, scoring 100 goals quicker than anyone else ever in British football and making his England debut while he's still a teenager. Yeah, he scored in that game too. But after an unhappy spell in Italy with AC Milan, it was Tottenham who paid the big money to bring him home, having won the league and FA Cup double the previous year, 1961. And a young Harry Redknapp remembers that moment. But it was an amazing group of players, and um, with Mackay, Blanche Flair, John White, I mean, Cliff Jones, Terry Dyson, Les Allen. It just done the double and then the icing on the cake the following year was to bring Jimmy in. Jimmy Greaves was excited by his return, but as he explained to ITV and Brian Moore, he felt he had to hit the ground running. There were difficult times because I'd come back to a very great side and because of the, uh, the press, the bad press that I'd had and the bad publicity, 
over the Italian business. I think I had to prove myself to what was a great team and a great bunch of players. And to say I wasn't readily accepted would probably be a little bit false, but, but it, was, it was a difficult thing to go into the dressing room mm. because they thought, well, here comes this spoiled brat, which I don't believe that I was, but that was the image that was conjured up yeah. in those days. So I had to get down. The only way you could do it is by, by doing what one did, really, and yeah. that was was become part of the team, both on and off the field. But Jimmy was an instant hit with the Spurs fans. When that great goal scorer Jimmy Greaves arrived at White Hart Lane, it's not surprising he was in demand for autographs. Spectators, of course, were all agog to see him in action for Spurs in the match against Blackpool. Having cost his club nearly 100,000, he contributed handsomely to its 5-2 defeat of Blackpool, back with a hat-trick. Tottenham teammate Phil Beale believes Jimmy's temperament was one of the things that set him apart. I never ever saw him get flustered or in the dressing room. He, he looked so, it looked as though he, he had no nerves at all when he used to go out and play. Obviously he did because he'd done a, his routine on match days was always the same. So obviously there must have been nerves some there, but he never showed it. You know, the pitches and uh, the, the, uh, the ball and everything is so different. And I just think of what Jimmy would be like nowadays. He would, he was, he was probably scored twice as many goals as he got then. What a great player! And Alan Mullery played with Jimmy Greaves for Spurs in England and against the striker for Fulham. I was told to, you know, be as close as I possibly could to him to stop him playing. And you give him one chance in the game, and he knock it in the back of the net. At the end of the game, he got got off hard. He got a sweat on his shirt, and uh, you know he's won the game just doing a couple of things but was absolute genius at what he did at scoring goals. And uh, the only way you could stop him was probably build a goal and put shed on it so it couldn't go in the back of the net. But that's, that was Jimmy. He was that good. I mean, people of, of, of a modern-day age today uh, will not, other than seen on, on what he used to play on, on dirty pitches, on icy pitches and things like that, and still come off you know, with this wonderful performance of scoring goals. He was, he was a, the greatest goal scorer ever. Former Tottenham manager Harry Redknapp used to go and watch Jimmy Greaves for Spurs when Harry was a teenager. He could run at speed and, and go past people as though, a bit like Messi, you know, Lionel Messi. That's when Jimmy was on a run with a ball, it was almost tied to his foot, the ball, stuck to his foot. And when he got in front of goal, he was just so cool and calculated that, he would just, he never, he'd never smash balls into the back of the net. He would place them, he'd roll them in the corner. He'd walk round the goalkeeper, make out to shoot, faint to shoot. The goalie would die. Jimmy would walk past him and roll it in the empty net. That, that was how I see Jimmy. You know, I see bodies flying in the penalty box, block, trying to block his shot, and Jimmy moving the ball, making out to shoot, moving it back onto the other foot again, looking to shoot, somebody else diving in. The goalkeeper diving one way and Jimmy rolling it in the opposite corner and walking away with a shrug of his shoulders and a little smile and as though that's what I'm supposed to do. Now for Greaves. He's still there with a chance. And it's there by Greaves. Oh, what a goal by Greaves. Greaves changing direction so well. Oh, beautiful football. What a great Greaves hanging back, going to hit it. What a goal by Jimmy Greaves. Oh, Greaves. He's done it. Jimmy Greaves. The goal he wanted. Greaves continued to set goal-scoring records at Tottenham and for three successive seasons he was the leading first division striker. He scored after just three minutes as Tottenham retained the FA Cup in 1962 and scored a brace against Atletico Madrid in the final of the 1963 European Cup Winners' Cup. The first British team ever to win a European competition and there's an invasion now of the Tottenham fans onto the pitch. Among the adoring Spurs fans in the 1960s was legendary DJ and season ticket holder Norman Jay. As a 12-year-old boy, schoolboy, Jimmy Greaves was my absolute hero, my idol. 
best number eight in the business, and I wanted to be him. That's a beautiful centre. In goes Greaves. He's got number four. That must be it. It must all be over now. I think one of the reasons why Jimmy Greaves was so popular with Tottenham fans was that he was the complete player. Could score with either foot uh, or a header and had a complete knack of knowing exactly where the goal is, even with his back to it. Incredible. That's why the hordes at White Hart Lane absolutely adored him. Talk sport presenters Paul Hawksby and Andy Jacobs also marvelled at Greavesy's talent from the terraces in the 1960s. He was very, very difficult uh, to mark. He was a bit like Ardiles in later years. You know, he, was, he would glide. And, and then like Trevor Brooking was another player like that. Just very, very difficult to stop for some reason. I love that thing that he had this record of scoring on his debut for every club he played for. Not mm. an easy thing. I mean, it's all about putting pressure on yourself. But yeah. somehow he always did. And uh, there's a finish on a bobbly pitch against Rangers that is, it's, it defies belief, really, that anybody could play like that on a pitch like that. With all the success, Jimmy became one of the most famous faces in Britain in the 1960s, alongside the Beatles, Michael Caine and Sean Connery. But Harry Redknapp says he wasn't a great one for the showbiz parties. He preferred a sing-along at the pub. Jimmy wouldn't have been living up the, going up the West End of London or, you know, that wouldn't have been his scene no more than it was all the players in them days. His scene would have been after a game with all the lads at Tottenham round the, in, round the corner from White Hart Lane you know, in the pub up the road having a drink. After a game, that was where that's where he would spend his time, or, or you know, around where he lived down that area, probably up the local, having a pint. He, they were very, very different. The football footballers did; they wouldn't have been sort of living the life in, and going to say up the West End, going to parties or mixing with, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy would have been out. I think Jimmy is more comfortable with mixing with the punters, the people who went to football, than what it was uh, with uh, sort of you know superstars, if you like. Win or lose, we're on the booze, became a motto for some footballers and drinking had a major impact on his life later. But on the pitch, everything was going well and as England defender George Cohen reveals, Jimmy was one of the central figures for Alf Ramsey ahead of the World Cup in 1966. He, he was a bit of a wit too around there, along with Nobby and Ray Wilson and um, people like that who could take the mick out of you and, and you wouldn't take offence. These were the people that you needed around there. And of course, I've seen Elf Ramsey come in, listen to it, smile and go out of the room. Um, not very disciplined off the pitch. But so what? You know, where, where do we want the discipline that's on the pitch? And that, he scored goals. But in the winter before the World Cup, Jimmy Greaves was struck down with serious illness. I felt quite ill taking the kids to uh, to fireworks and um, went home, went to bed and didn't get up for three weeks. In fact, finished up in hospital for a couple of weeks with infective hepatitis. And it was diagnosed by a very famous consultant that I would never be the same player again. And I think she was absolutely right. She said, you'll lose a yard in pace. And I believe I did. I never got it back. Um, it was a very hard struggle to get fit in time for the 66 World Cup. Everything you did left you totally drained. Despite missing much of the winter with Spurs, Jimmy's determination paid off and his recovery from hepatitis was confirmed in a warm-up international in Norway where he scored four goals. Charlton Styles are there to join in the fun and there's Greaves for number six. And in the next part, we'll hear, though, how injury wrecked the striker's chance of winning a World Cup final. The truth was that I had five stitches in my shin after the French game, which was a big gouge. So there was no way that I was fit anyway for the Argentinian game. So I wasn't dropped for the Argentinian game. I just wasn't fit. That's all coming up on this special programme, English Football Genius, a tribute to Jimmy Greaves.
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. You're listening to English Football Genius, a tribute to Jimmy Greaves on Talk Sport with me, Danny Kelly. We've heard how the prolific goalscorer had recovered from hepatitis to take his place in England's starting lineup for the 1966 World Cup. England had won their last group match against France 2-0 at Wembley to qualify for the quarter-finals to send the fans home happy, but Jimmy Greaves wasn't jumping for joy. He hadn't scored in the opening three matches of the tournament, but more worryingly, he had a deep gash in his shin. The truth was that I had five stitches in my shin after the French game, which was a big gouge. So there was no way that I was fit anyway for the Argentinian game. So I wasn't dropped for the Argentinian game. I just wasn't fit. Jeff Hurst came in, took his chance. He scored the only goal of the match, and Elf kept it that way. And quite frankly, I think Elf was right to do so. I've always said Elf was right to do so. If you say, was I disappointed I didn't play in the 66 World Cup? Of course, I was devastated. But it wasn't Alf's fault. It wasn't my fault, really. It was just the way things happened. So Alf Ramsey's decision not to recall his main striker and stick with the informed Jeff Hurst was made even worse by the fact that no substitutes were allowed in 1966. And Jimmy was left to watch the World Cup final in a suit from the back of the stands at Wembley. And here comes Hurst. He's got... Some people are on the pitch, they think it's all over. It is now, it's four. As harsh as it was on Greaves, most of his teammates agreed with the coach and of course Jeff Hurst scored that infamous hat-trick in the final victory over West Germany. Here's World Cup winners George Cohen and first Gordon Banks. Did we create more chance with the Jeff in? He got the, started to get in the goals. Everybody in this country knew you were a great player, Jimmy Greaves was, but he got the guts to, to say, well, you know, he's, he's scoring goals, he's working hard, he's doing well, I'll, I'll leave him in. Who's to say Elf was wrong in that score? <laughs> because Jim wasn't 100% fit, he could not have been. Not the, not the Jimmy Greaves I knew anyway. Nothing else mattered to Jim except playing. It's like every pro, you want to play. That must have knocked him back quite a lot, you know, psychologically. And uh, I don't know whether physically he um, deteriorated a bit, you know. But anyway, certainly Jeff came in and did a, a tremendous job. There's no doubt about that. He scored three goals and got a knighthood. <laughs> what the hell? It, it, it was one of those games that uh, you're not going to do any better. Out of the side through injury, set the example for the other reserves by congratulating the victorious players. It was a bit like the AC Milan incident all those years beforehand, where it was built up in the press that we'd had rows and I'd been dropped, and that wasn't the case. I was totally devastated. Sure, I had the ump. Who wouldn't? Mm. Who, you're, you're missing the, the pinnacle of a, of a lifetime. Uh, of course you'd be fed up about it, but I didn't have the ump Ralph Ramsey or anything. I was just feeling very down, and who wouldn't feel down? 
In typical fashion, his determination, skill, and of course that legendary goal-scoring touch shone through, and Jimmy's goals helped him and Spurs back to Wembley the following year. It's a grand old team to play for. It's a grand old team to see. And if you read the history, it's enough to make your heart go. It's all over, Tottenham have won the cup. Tottenham have won it, and the Tottenham fans, this for them is the moment of great joy. Jimmy Greaves, left out of the World Cup, now back on top of the world. And the Tottenham will be there. Once again, he was an FA Cup winner with Spurs, but by the start of the 1969-70 season, Tottenham manager Bill Nicholson was looking to move the striker on. Author and journalist David Tossel describes the reasons why. Bill Nicholson sensed that as the sort of the 1969-70 season began, which was um, you know Jimmy's last at Tottenham, he'd just come off of a season where he'd actually been top scorer in the first division again, and there'd been calls for him to get back in the England team. I think Bill Nicholson sensed that Jim's mind wasn't 100% on it, and there are many different reasons for that. One was that he had his own business interests that were, were sort of becoming increasingly a, a part of his life. Um, the other was he had the, this, this offer and this distraction of going into rally driving, which you know, he, he'd been thinking about and practicing for, for for a few months. And then the third element that I guess became clear in later years was that, was that you know that the effects of alcohol were starting to kick in. And so I think that that generally gave the impression to Bill Nicholson that that maybe you know Jimmy's best days were behind him, and that you know if the opportunity arose as it did with a, with a chance to use him as a part of a deal to get Martin Peters, who was at the time you know, one of the, the best players in the country, then you know it wasn't the, getting rid of Jimmy Greaves wasn't the unthinkable thing that it, it had been maybe a couple of years earlier. It was still a shock when the Tottenham boss sold the striker to West Ham as part of a deal that took Martin Peters the other way to Spurs. After all, Jimmy was Tottenham's all-time record scorer with 266 goals and 379 appearances. Here's Jimmy Greaves in his own words. It was on the day that we moved house and uh, I got a phone call from Bill Nicholson. It was a strange call because he said, uh, is that you, Jim? I went, yes, Bill. He said, I've got Martin Peters in my office. I thought, well, what's he talking to me about Martin Peters for? And he said, uh, I'd like to buy him, but Ron Greenwood wants you in part X. He wants a clapped-out old model, obviously. Would you go over to West Ham? And he said, it needs to be done in the next hour or so because of the transfer deadline. And I put the phone down, and I thought after nine years or so that, uh, I don't know, I just felt a bit disillusioned with it all, that I thought that dear old Bill, who... I've got no greater admiration for any man on earth more than Bill Nicholson, could do it. I didn't want to go. I'd never asked for a transfer. I'd, I'd never put in for a move. I'd never once intimated to Bill that I wanted to leave the club. When Jimmy Greaves was transferred from Spurs to West Ham, he was my absolute hero. I was a rather sensitive 13-year-old. Um, my parents were obsessed with us going to bed early and getting lots of sleep, perhaps to get rid of four children, all roughly the same age, for a few hours. My dad, the night that this all happened, did something that never happened before. At about half ten in the night, he came upstairs, gently opened my bedroom door and woke me up. He wanted to tell me that Jimmy Greaves had left Spurs. Such was my hero worship of the great man that he was terrified that I'd go to school the next day and hear the news from somebody else and be upset. It was the first and only time I can remember my dad ever interrupting my sleep. He just wanted his son to know that the worst thing that could happen in his world had actually happened. So the match gone and Jimmy Greaves has done it again. Scored on his debut for every club. 
Well, as you heard there, in March 1970, Jimmy began his West Ham career away to Manchester City. That goal kept up his remarkable record of scoring in every debut for West Ham, Chelsea, AC Milan, Tottenham, England under-23s and England. But as John Motson recalls, West Ham didn't see the best of the striker. The West Ham days really were a bit of a postscript. He didn't spend the time there that he spent the other two clubs, although he still scored goals. And he said, Jimmy Greaves, in his sort of drawl, he said to me, well, John, he said, the Chelsea fans would say my best days were at Chelsea. And my Tottenham fans would say my best days were at Spurs. He said, and the West Ham fans would say my best days were at Chelsea and Spurs. <laughs> that was typical of Jimmy's sense of humour. By the time the 1970 World Cup in Mexico came around, Jimmy Greaves was out of the England reckoning. In fact, people were complaining that he was more interested in car driving than he was in professional football, which led to one of the most amazing stories I think I've ever been told about the game. Several years ago, I interviewed Jimmy over the course of a whole day about his career with Spurs in England. And he told me a story that he says he, for various reasons, doesn't tell everyone. As the 1970 World Cup was approaching, Jimmy was taking part in an extraordinary rally that took the brand new Ford Escort cars from Europe to Mexico City. He was good enough to finish sixth. Meanwhile, in the build-up to the tournament itself, his great friend, his best friend, Bobby Moore, had been arrested in Bogota um, for uh, what were trumped-up charges of stealing a bracelet and had been placed under house arrest in the British Embassy in Bogota. When he got to Mexico City, Jimmy Greaves heard about this and, without telling a single soul, flew from Central America to South America, made his way to Bogota and to the British Embassy. As he recalled, it had a very high wall around it. The former England striker scaled the wall, broke into the British Embassy through a window and then proceeded to go from room to room in a very large building until finally he opened one last door and there sat Three and a half thousand miles from home, but eight feet from him, was Bobby Moore. Hello, Bob, said Jim. Hello, Jim, said Bob. I mean, it was a remarkable display of friendship, but also tells you something about the kind of man Jimmy Greaves was and how far he would go for his friends, his family and his teammates. You're listening to a special programme here on TalkSport, English Football Genius, a tribute to Jimmy Greaves. And coming up in the final part, you'll hear how Jimmy won the most difficult but important battle of his life. I mean, I started drinking quite heavily and I woke up in Warley Mental Home. Five years had passed me by without me knowing what had happened in that five years. But thankfully, he recovered to become one of the most popular presenters on British television. Welcome back, I'm Danny Kelly and you're listening to a special TalkSport programme looking at the life of one of the best-loved footballers and TV personalities, Jimmy Greaves. After falling out of favour with Spurs in 1970 and moving to West Ham, Jimmy became disillusioned with the game. In an interview with ITV's Brian Moore, he explained his reasons for retiring from professional football at the age of 31. It, it was that I was a, a bit fed up with the West Ham situation. I should have gone to Derby County. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, Did you have a chance? Yes, what, Brian, Brian, Brian wanted me. Brian wa wanted me to go to Derby. And, and really, I wish I'd have gone, because one of the great things I'd have loved to have done was, was play under the, the governor, mm. the man. After a 15-year career, Jimmy's staggering statistics told their own story. 422 goals in 602 appearances. Tottenham's legendary double-winning manager Bill Nicholson was full of praise for Jimmy's finishing ability. He had a lot more skill than people gave him credit for. He had a lot of good passing ability. But, of course, the most important thing was his ability to get the ball in the net. And I've tried several times since then, even while talking to people like Ardelis, to say, look, 
you get into these positions and yet you can't score. When Jimmy Greaves got into these positions, he didn't try to blast the back of the net out. He seemed to place the ball just inside the post as if he's making a pass to the staunchion in the back of the net. He did play semi-pro for Barnet, among other clubs, but soon the booze consumed him. I mean, I started drinking quite heavily and I woke up in Warley Mantelone. Five years had passed me by without me knowing what had happened in that five years. It took me about four months before I could write my own name again and start in remembering things and I suppose it was a full year before I'd actually got all my faculties back. I know a lot of people will say that they've not quite made it but uh, it was something that happened. I don't know why it happened. I don't know how it happened. I think if we knew that, if any alcoholic um, knew how they became alcoholics, they, they might be able to do something about it. But it, it's a situation that you can do nothing about. You have to accept the fact that that's what you are. You have to live your life a day at a time on those terms. After coming out of hospital, he stopped drinking within a month, never drank again, and was reunited with his wife Irene and their four children. His eldest son, Danny, feels that getting sober and helping other alcoholics is bigger than anything he achieved in football. To be able to suddenly go, that's it, I'm never going to drink again, when you are an alcoholic and it is an addiction, mm. is probably his greatest, and he would probably recognise his greatest achievement. And a lot of people don't realise that he also helped a lot of other people get off the booze and get their, manage to turn their lives around, which not only helped him, but he helped others. And I think, you know, absolutely fantastic. One of those who Jimmy helped firsthand come to terms with their drink problem was his Spurs teammate, the legendary Welsh winger, Cliff Jones. He came to see me and... Uh... He saw the signs and he said, Cliff, look, you've got a lovely wife, a family, a home, you've got a good job. Do you want to lose them? And I said, of course I don't know. What are you talking about, Jim? Of course I don't want to lose them. So I'll tell you this now, Cliff. If you continue drinking, you will lose them. Because it had happened to him. And he said, the worst thing you will lose, Cliff, is your self-respect. You lose that. And I said, well, what do I do? And then he said... Go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, you must be joking, Jim. I'm not an alcoholic. But of course, he was right. And I went into Alcoholics Anonymous and that was uh, on June the 29th, 1985. That was my last drink. And since then, I've been recovering an alcoholic a day at a time. And uh, of course, a lot of that downlines to my dear friend, Jimmy Greaves. In his autobiography, and in an interview on a television programme called Just For Today, Jimmy spoke openly and elegantly about his battle with alcohol, which indirectly led to his second career in TV. Football is a funny old game. Gary Newbon, who worked for ATV in the Midlands in the early 80s, takes up the story. We were sitting in an office, four of us, Billy Wright, the great footballer, was head of sport, Trevor East, who was the editor of the programme, myself as the presenter, and an executive producer called Tony Flanagan. And we just couldn't come to the right person. And then Tony Flanagan was reading The Sun while we were talking, and there was an article by Jimmy Greaves. And he mentioned Jimmy Greaves, and I said, yeah, do you know, I saw him on a documentary about his drinking problems on ATV recently. He was a really good talker. I wouldn't mind that. He's a bit different. So Trevor, he said, I'll ring him. So he rang him up. This was the early part of the week. And Jimmy said, no, thanks, Trev. If I, don't, I live in deepest Essex, mate. I don't really fancy it. You're up in Birmingham. So we, he put the phone down. That was a bit disappointing. And then on the Thursday, we still hadn't got anybody. And the phone went, uh, Trevor's phone went. And Easty said, yes. He said, uh, it's Jimmy Graves here, Trev. Uh, uh, my missus says I've got to take the job, Irene. Uh, is it too late? And Trevor said, no, you've got to be here on Friday to go on the local show, the new show. with, And that's how it started. We're not going to agree on this, you know. We are not going to agree on it. This is Big Brother, 1984 stuff, and a couple of blues supporters said you had it in for them this afternoon. It's nothing to do with blues. Time. Absolutely nothing to do with blues. I think that the evidence is there, and it's up to the FA. It's they Big decided Brother to act stuff, on it. This? 
It's George Orwell. Now, initially, there were complaints and criticism over a Cockney being on the commentary team in the Birmingham area, but Greasy soon won the public over. I remember distinctly Manchester City Willie Donachie was the fullback, marking Tommy Hutchison, the uh, flying winger of Coventry City. And Hutchison beat him one way, and then another way, and then another way, and then crossed the ball. And Jimmy said, well, girl, they had to unravel Donachie at half-time and tell him where he'd been. And suddenly the audience warmed to him, and he became a real hit in the Midlands. The bosses at ITV soon became aware of Jimmy's on-screen charisma, and he was included in their coverage of the World Cup in 1982. And the former England striker was given his own show alongside another ex-footballer, Scotsman Ian St John, in the mid-80s. While I was away in Spain watching yes. a bit of football, I mean, you've done... You, you've pictured me on the front page of newspapers criticising TV for repeats. Uh, well, yes, absolutely. Mind you, this show is live, folks. <laughs> the only thing that's repeating is the sausage sandwich that I had in the canteen. Prior to the arrival of Saint and Greasy, football in Britain was still being talked about in an incredibly formal way. The incidents that people were interested in, the way they spoke about the game, the banter, as it now gets called, were all missing from coverage of the national sport. Along came Jimmy Grease and Ian St. John, and suddenly the laughter, the passion, the back and forth that typified the way people talked about the game in the pubs was taken to our screens. The programme was gigantic. If you were interested in football, if you wanted to know what was going on, if you wanted to have a good and fun opinion about it, you had to watch Saint and Greasy. At the centre of all of that, quite clearly, was the fact that Jimmy Grease could carry any conversation with wit and panache and turn any group of facts into something interesting. It was brilliant. Assisting me with the draw are Jimmy Greaves, who will draw the home team, and Donald Trump, who will draw the away team. And on one show in 1992, they flew to New York and managed to persuade Donald Trump to take part in that season's League Cup quarter-final draw. Hey, I told you, didn't I? I, I told you. I told you. how you managed it. Donald, very you, pleased you, to meet you, nice sir. Nice meeting you. Well done, Donald. Thank you. This is some pad you've got here, isn't it? No, it's pretty good. I hope you enjoy it. Trump oh, Tower, I is, like it. This is beautiful, I'll tell you. Well, I haven't seen a ballroom like this since I was in Doug Ellis's. <laughs> <laughs> I'll carry on. Yeah, carry on with the draw. Okay. Number five, Leeds United. Against number six, will play Manchester United. Oh, oh Donald. You don't realise what you've done there. That's a biggie. That I'll sounds like what. the game I want to go to. Are you thinking of opening a store in England? Well, I think we're going to maybe go over there and watch a couple uh, of these games. Well, take, take my <laughs> advice. You can open one in Leeds, but don't go to Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Jimmy Greaves in his own words. I look back and, and think, well... Uh, I got a great deal of satisfaction being a professional footballer, obviously, but it's another life. And I think it was a life that I was born to. I didn't know anything other than playing football. I think it was pretty obvious from a very early age that I was going to be a footballer of some sort. And uh, indeed I was. Also, I think when you're young, you tend not to appreciate things as much as you might when you get older. I didn't take it up until I was 40. Uh, you appreciate what you've got. And I think because it was something I never, ever dreamed I would ever be associated with. Because I didn't have the inborn ability to do it, I, I think I'm uh, sort of, uh, much more grateful for the television career. Gary Newborn worked alongside Jimmy on TV commentary for over 15 years and the pair became firm friends. You know, he was very much part of promoting the sport. People wanted to see Greavesy. But Greavesy had, an, had this attraction where on a Friday night, I did two things when I was in the Midlands. I had, before Jimmy, I had Brian Clough on every Friday night and the ratings rocketed because you didn't know what Clough he was going to say. And then Greaves, and the ratings on a Friday night really stayed high. But, and, and those two were different. I mean, you could walk into a room and uh, it'd be packed and crowded, a, a social club as it was, say, at Birmingham City or, or Arsenal. And if Brian Clough came on the telly, there'd be silence because he would say something outrageous and people wanted to hear it. And I think Greaves, not outrageous, but funny humour, uh, I think he had a similar effect. Saint and Greasy was only dropped after ITV lost the broadcast rights for the Premier League to Sky. 
Jimmy moved into theatre shows and would often do after-dinner speeches to his adoring fans. I was playing against uh, Brazil, believe it or not, in the quarter-finals. And you could walk in the ground at the sides, you know, and this dog came in. Uh, actually, we, we didn't know whether to keep him on. <laughs> but anyway, the referee stopped the game. No one could get hold of this dog. And suddenly I got down on my hands and knees, being a dog lover anyway, and called the dog over. And the old dog came over. It was, and of course, I got a massive cheer. And I picked the dog up and cuddled him. And as I cuddled him, he peed all down. <laughs> After the game, Garincha was unbelievable in that World Cup. Uh, he wanted the dog, and so he took the dog back to Brazil with him. And um, called it Greavesy. Called it Greavesy, yeah. <laughs> and, um, well, it played better than me. I mean, <laughs> so I'm known in Brazil as Garincha's dog catcher. <laughs> Talksports Paul Hawksby witnessed Jimmy's stage antics firsthand. He did a Spurs show, the podcast, and it was a live show at the 100 Club. And it was great form. I saw him before I hadn't had a chat with him. And they got up on the stage, told some great old stories, some brilliant stories, had the audience in the palm of his hand. And having seen him you know, just a month later, they realised that he'd had that terrible stroke and, and it was going to really effectively to say change his life was was so sad because uh, there was a lot of the old Jim still kind of doing his thing, still Great Valley, still doing the after dinner stuff, uh, and he was on good form. And it, and it was tragic, really, that, that that happened to him when it did. That stroke in 2015 had a lasting impact on his health and took Jimmy out of the public eye and back to the bosom of his family, who became his full time carers. A further spell in hospital in 2020 once again led to an absolute outpouring of public affection for a great man and a great footballer. He had this natural, natural sort of instinct to, you know, how to go at a defence, when to release the ball, when to shoot, when not, you know, when to hold on to it. He scored goals. Greaves hanging back, gonna hit it. Oh, what a, what a goal by Jimmy Greaves! He didn't worry about playing well or being brilliant. All he wanted to do was put the ball in the back of the net, and he did that better than anybody I've seen. And uh, he was just a special player, a special character. Greaves. Changing direction so well. Oh, beautiful football. What a great goal. If I'd had scored every goal I'd missed and missed every goal I'd scored, I wouldn't half be in the record books. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this special programme here on TalkSport, English Football Genius, a tribute to Jimmy Greaves. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson. And me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.